Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. I can get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll. And on with the show. Courtney with Short Bus Debate Club. We certainly hope you enjoyed your vacation. Um, we are now starting off the summer semester, and when I say me, or we, I mean me and Darren Jolly. Hi. Um, so before we get this thing kicked off, I wanted to, I guess, cover a couple of things. Um, and you know what? Never mind. I, no, 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 no. Go cover, because I'm going to cover a couple things real quick before we start too. Well, it's just you know everybody's always accusing me of correcting them, and <laughs> I I do it. I know that I do it, but I correct myself also. So in the last episode before we had our vacation, before summer semester started, um, I used the word whelp. And I knew it was wrong when I fucking said it, and I meant to use the word Yelp, but I didn't correct myself then, and then I listened to the episode while we were waiting to record again, and yeah, and it just fucking irritated the shit out of me. So I meant Yelp when we were talking about dude being hung up on the wrought iron fence, yelping in pain. Not well-being. What, what, so what, what were we talking about? Gangs of New York. Oh, dude that, on the wrought iron fence. That really? That you went back? Well, went it was back. only 1602. Yeah, but I mean, I don't mean like by episode, but well, I hope that this like a sewage is your general inability to, you know, <laughs> oh, no, not be self-critical of your... <laughs> I mean, I know that every time I talk to to our buddy Jay, you know, yeah, um, she constantly reminds me of uh, my word misusages. Well, that is one of the reasons where, like, when I use the word whelp and not yelp, even though I meant to say yelp, I swear I did, and it just fucking whelp popped out. But the more I do shit like that, which it happens often, but the more I do it, the more I think that I need to script myself. But I fucking hate to script myself because I think one of the reasons that this show is good is because we kind of fucking flow freely. Yeah, we. I mean, and, and it's not like, I mean, I got notes, you got notes. You know, we got 15 or 20 points maybe each. And maybe we cover some of them, maybe we don't cover some of them. So it's not like we're just totally fucking shooting from the hip. But, well, really? Well, yeah, whelp. You know, there's a famous scene about Yelp in a, in a movie. There's a famous website called Yelp. Well, that is true. But I like the, when uh, Robin Williams is talking to uh, Ethan Hawke 
in Dead Poets Society. Because Ethan I've Hunt, never seen that movie. Jesus Christ, dude. How could you not have seen that movie? Never, ever seen it. No. There's a, there's a, I, so I will not... I hope at some point in time you see it, and you will you will hear Ethan Hawke sound through the uh, uh, inspiration of Uncle Walt Walt Whitman sound his barbaric yelp. So good scene. I don't know how you don't. That's a great movie, dude. That's one of definitely one of his best roles. Ethan Hawke or Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Yeah, Ethan Hawke is. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he he has he has moments that are okay, but like I, I've never really thought of him as anybody that really carries. You know, I love Gattaca. That's a great film, but I, I just, he, it's not because he has like some astounding, or Uma Thurman or anybody else for that matter. It's just the concepts that they do in the, the film. Yeah, that's so, a good movie. Yeah, I've seen that one. Um, Training Day. Like, I don't think Ethan Hawke. I don't think that fucking uh, Malcolm X should. I mean, that he should have won for his 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 best. Uh, Denzel lead, lead role. Mean. Yeah, for 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 for. Malcolm X, or there's four or five other way better than Training Day, but Ethan Hawke. I like Training Day, but not because of Ethan Hawke. It's okay, it's okay, but it's not. I mean, there's a lot better Dirty Cop, you know, weird, odd movies like that. Yeah. This I... is this is an example of us shooting from the hip a little bit, <laughs> but it's in the context of Brian and him sounding his barbaric yell. So the other thing that I was going to talk about was a friend of ours pointed out that we had a hundred episodes up, and we're not really. I was going. We don't care about shit like to mention that, but then I realized we don't because one of the episodes is a trailer. So technically, this is the one hundredth episode, which means it doesn't mean jack shit, except. There ain't no party like a short bus party. Everybody say hey. Everybody say ho. <laughs> you were supposed to say hey and ho, but whatever. Oh, this is not hip hop. Uh... Hip hop ray ho. Um, okay, so this is the hundredth episode. So for those of you that like and enjoy the show, continue listening because you'll probably continue to like and enjoy the show. For those of you that have never listened. You probably should listen to a couple episodes. Um, all right, what did you need to cover? Um, I, I do think that it's important to to note that during our uh, brief siesta, when I was choking my head off for a couple of weeks there, because uh, I got pretty sick, we uh, celebrated Brian's 50th birthday. Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> That's life, bro. That's life. I don't need people knowing my shit. Anyway, that's fine. Of all the things that come out of your mouth, you're concerned about a number. We're all fucking stardust. I don't care about how old I am. Uh That doesn't bother me. You just don't want other people to know it? I don't, yeah. I just don't like anybody telling you happy birthday and saying anything like that. That, no, that's fine. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You're, you're you're welcome. Okay, and I my other thing is just a correction too. All right, and this is an this is an important point, right? So like, I work all the time. Sometimes I don't have time to review all the information that I get in. But we were talking about uh, on the substantive episode, not the 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 popular culture episode. We, we were talking about the Allen Texas kid, um, the kid that did the shooting um, in the mall, Mauricio Martinez Garcia. Um, 
all of the so I, I talked we talked about like the um, the white supremacist uh, Spanish surname concept that 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 had been put out there, right? So what it turns out is is that the white supremacist uh, Spanish surname concept came from uh, an article that was produced by an institution called Bellingcat, right? And uh, I'm not I wasn't really familiar with them before that, but there was a, a an interview that Elon Musk did, and don't take this as me, I don't get my information really from Elon Musk, but every now and again, that dipshit's got a kernel, right? So, uh, um, they, he made this comment about uh, the problematic way in which these uh, discussions with regards to what his background was, were, were founded, and the article came from Bellingcat. Bellingcat is not... Uh, it's an institution that gets its funding to create its its uh, articles, its media, uh, its investigations from uh, different arms of the British and U.S. State Department. Like, for instance, they get funding from the New Endowment for Democracy. Um, when I did my uh, undergraduate honors thesis, I paid a lot of attention to this book, uh, Promoting Polyarchy. Um, this is the first place that I really uh, uh, saw the argument that uh, under the church committee, uh, when the CIA and domestic intelligence agencies got under the microscope of Congress, there was um, a strategy that was developed where activities that uh, these intelligence organi organizations used to conduct, um, you could insulate oversight by taking funding coming from the state and giving it to quasi uh, quasi private public institutions and having them conduct these certain activities that used to be conducted by at the intelligence agencies. And there's a whole laundry list of them. If you, if you pick up the book, like, and you go through the first uh, 50 or 75 pages or so, um, half of it's talking about his, 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 the framework for his analysis, which is Ruben Gramsci. The other is, is creating this sort of like uh, nexus of activity through these various different institutions um and he talked a bunch about the the new endowment for democracy and usaid and all these various you're talking about elon musk right now but no i was talking about how he made a comment about how the report that came out about that kid so like all the information with regards to um him being this white supremacist latino right right was found on this uh like fringe Russian social media website. And what Elon Musk suggested was that the stuff that Bellingcat produces is generally because it's like media, but media to drive certain uh, mental spaces in a specific direction to uh, mediate the justification for certain policy projections and stuff like that. Um, he used the word psyops, right? I mean, they're a think tank. They're, but they're not a think tank. They're, they're literally, uh, they, they produce media. They produce articles. But it's not like, it's not like MSNBC or Fox or the New York Times or the Washington Post. But they do feed articles into those, those spaces. But there's no doubt that, uh, look, if you're gonna, if you're gonna produce media, uh, if you're getting your funding from uh, different arms of the State Department from one country or another. 
that's you know i mean when we when we talk all kinds of shit about like rt you know i mean it's kind of funny you know because we're ostensibly doing the same thing but we're doing it through these alter we as in like the united states the royal we through these uh these sideways trajectories so um i'm not saying anything good or bad about i mean the guy went in and he shot a bunch of people he was fucked up in his head there's no doubt about that that's not the argument but there's no doubt that there was a certain uh there was a framing that was being constructed by these this media space and if they were doing it the suggestion is that they were doing it on behalf of a certain push it was a psyop i mean but i mean that's 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 a complicated you know so was the framing pre or post shooting it was after okay yeah well that's what they do Anytime somebody gets I, shot, I know, but it's but it's 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 and and I'm not saying that if you get something from MSNBC, it's good because all the people on MSNBC were like propping this disposition up. But while MSNBC works in conjunction with uh, certain State Department positions, they don't get funding directly from. New endowment for democracy or something like that. And I'm not, it's not, that's not as a qualifier. I'm just saying that Bell and Cat as an institution is probably the last person, if you want to know the truth of an incident, they're probably not the place that you want to go to to really understand anything of substantive about anything. They have an agenda, they're driving a specific agenda, and that agenda ties to certain uh, other strategies that are very very deep and behind the scenes through the through the deep state right and they they spin things and make the general public think whatever it is they want to think um them to think but i don't know if i'd call it a, a psychological operation I, 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 the, so why, why not because i think then you're talking like manchurian candidate like you were the one that got him to do it no that's not, that's not, that's not, I, I don't see psyops that way. Psyops oh. are about crafting thoughts. It's not about just trying to program a person to go and shoot someone. I don't, I mean, and we can, we can debate that at a different point in time. My point is that, that I, 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 I said a bunch of things that came from a report that when I look back at it was incredibly suspect. That's, that, that's primarily why. And like I said, the dude was fucked up, but I think that anybody that continues to uh, perpetrate this position that because one thing that I think is very interesting and I don't know if this necessarily has anything to do with it but like if you look at all the different things that they were spinning like through you know like uh, like the, the Hillary camp and and those individual individuals when they were trying to uh, link the, the Russiagate stuff right um, There were a lot of discussions about so like tons of people in Texas and all these different places that were that had Spanish surnames. There was an assumption that Democrats would get the the Latino Latino vote. Like and in 2016 and 2020, there was a gigantic divergence where people that they thought would vote Democrat with with those surnames actually voted Republican. And I don't have anything to substantiate what I'm saying right now, but there have been a lot of attempts to demonize certain demographics that don't fall in line and vote, you know, that, 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 that are like, if you voted for Jill Stein, then you're 
a Russian, you know, you're, you're, you're a Russian plant, you know, there were all these sort of rhetorical spaces. And like, when I see something like that, where something like that's being advanced, it makes me wonder like, what, like, and, and what that's when I see PSYOP, that, that deeper sort of like push to sort of like drive a certain thought process in a specific direction where you're demonizing something. That's, I mean, that's where like PSYOPs are more subtle. PSYOPs are not just the fucking Manichaean candidate. So we, but again, we can have that conversation more. I said like the Manichaean candidate, but that's okay. Um, Okay, so what's the difference then there? You, you no, were that's again. that's fine. I was just going to like move on unless you want to say no, something it. else about it. it. Um, well, but you had to get that last. I said like the Mediterranean candidate comment. <sighs> Jesus <So>. Christ! <laughs> Carry on, my good man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I so we were going to talk about subcultures. Yeah. Yeah. Today. Yeah. Allegedly. Okay. So. Um, I'm not even real sure where to start. I know kind of what you and I discussed off air about what this show should be about. Um, there's a lot of things that I want to cover. Um, but basically a subculture is anything that is not part of the main culture, I guess is the easiest way to explain it. I mean, and if you want to go even one step further, you could probably say subculture is anything that is not part of wasp culture. Um, and that may have been pushing it too far. I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, but the reason that I, I said that is because basically when I was doing my research, like they said, well, the South is a subculture and the Northeast is a subculture and Native Americans are a subculture and Hispanics are a subculture. Well, if that's the case, then Native Americans and Hispanics have a whole bunch of other subcultures underneath that one. Um, it's almost like genius, you know, like you have to break it down into, yeah. Right. So I don't know how how far we're supposed to go, but the, the main reason that I wanted to cover it was because, so there are all of these groups, and a lot of them we've talked about, prison inmates, gangs. Um, we didn't really talk a lot about hippies, but, you know, people who are in these subcultures and, and in my sociology class way the fuck back in the 90s said it was subculture with deviance um, or, or deviant activity. So that is gangs and hippies and, and whatever. The term that they seem to like more often these days is counterculture and not subculture. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why, but basically subculture was, like I said, they said Native Americans and, and Hispanics and all of these other groups, Asians and Southerners and people from fucking California. And there's some fucking group called the 
bromies, which are, <laughs> or bronies, sorry, bronies. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> which are, are guys that are, I think, over the age of 30 that really love My Little Pony. Um, so you can get into that subculture if you want. Um, and counterculture is supposed to be the people that are part of our group, but they want to change something. Um, and based on the name counter, you would think that they want to change a lot of things to go completely against the grain. Um, so that's my fucking five minute intro. I'll let Darren talk for a little well, while. I mean, if like culture as obviously culture is not a static thing in the same way that that subcultural counter or counterculture would not be a static thing or the right. way that we like if so socially thought about it historically like it like when it was newspapers you know and tv started to kind of come in culture was very homogeneous you know i mean it was there was not a lot of space for it was not heterogeneous there was no divergence you know if there was divergence it was very apparent it wasn't like big you know so uh, into the into the into the this will so we'll say the 50s i'm not saying that the 50s and the 60s are the beginning of culture but if you take it and you look at that and like you say you look at hippies all right like there were certain aspects of materialism not materialism, certain aspects of uh, being materialistic that a huge demographic of people or like at least the rewards of society were not appealing to a huge group of people, right? So in San Francisco, you know, you got Albert Hoffman, not in San Francisco, but Albert Hoffman, you know, Timothy Leary, LSD, you know, people's brains start they look at things differently, you know, whatever it is that's like pushing them in all these different directions. And uh, like the, the tune in, turn out or tune in, turn on, drop out kind of stuff. Uh, you know, Bob Dylan, like the, the words, the undercurrents. So like you have this, this, this thing, and then you have this sort of like antithetical thing that stands uh, distinct from it. Like you're saying, whether, you know, you use sub or counter, you know, I mean, I'd say probably that, like hippies would have been very counter counterculture because they were literally pushing off the entire concept of like the American dream, the formal spaces that were, that were driving that. Um, but as media sort of like opened up and you had more newspapers and you get more TV and then cable, like the trajectory of those spaces really started to to shift i mean you have this thing that's standing there opposed to a thing right like it, it it's seeing itself and it's saying um here let me i had a, a quote here somewhere like one thing like like that hegel said social conflicts are the immediate material in which ideal actions can be displayed right so like there's a way that the society is reproducing itself, and then this other like uh, state of human consciousness develops out of it that says there's something else, there's something more. We can attain something greater. We can attain something better. Of course, like if that's you know 
tripping acid, smoking weed, and falling around the fucking Grateful Dead. You know, there are clear limits to like the possibilities of those moments, you know, like you can, you might, you might, you know, go have a, like your rainbow gatherings and you have 30, 40,000 people that meet up on the 4th of July and some of them are tripping and some of them are meditating, but it's still just sort of like this event where it's standing. The way that the system is reproducing itself is still, the culture doesn't really, I mean, the, the shifts are very menial. Like they're not, they're not really. Well, no, I think that they are, I guess, menial because I mean, it doesn't take a large shift to knock a stream into the, the river to, to make everything mainstream. And like, so we talked about tattoos. So at one time, getting a tattoo was so taboo like gang members hippies sailors i mean there were a few select groups that got tattoos in the 90s i mean fuck when i got my first tattoo you had to go clear the fuck down i mean it was like 15 miles to get to a tattoo shop um there were only like Four in the Denver metro area, I think. And now they're fucking everywhere. Every fucking 10 feet, there's a tattoo parlor. And so I don't know where, like, so is it this tastemaker, this influencer, whoever, that says, you know, tattoos are fucking cool now? Because now, like, and I guess I gotta, you know, give these guys kudos because, you know, they're rappers or or just musicians in general that have fucking tattoos all over their neck and face so obviously they're not gonna be able to make it in any other fucking industry and for a long time they couldn't even have made it in music mm -hmm. but now they've got fucking tattoos all over their fucking head and face so Post Malone and all that weird yeah shit. they went on and and said i'm gonna be a fucking i'm gonna be an artist so i'm gonna go ahead and Get a fucking bunch of tattoos Turn on my face. Into, a, into an art, a piece of artwork, ultimately. I guess. Point. I I don't know, but tattoos are are cool now. You really cannot go. I mean, ten feet was an exaggeration, but not much of one, depending on where you are on Broadway or Colfax or Havana or anywhere in Denver. Well, the original categories that you were talking about, like sailors, you know, indigenous, you know, or like, like take Maori, for instance, right? Like indigenous from, from New Zealand, right? Their, their uh, tattoo work and, and, and a lot of, in, you know, Polynesia, Micronesia, Melanesia, all that kind of, like, it's, it's sacred, you know, like it, 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 it's, it's, it's a rite of passage for sailors, you know, like, I mean, if you own the Marines or something like that, you know, there's these, these things have, they had meaning, right? And now... It's like, it's turned, it, I mean, we'll, we'll get to where we're ultimately going to get with regards to the, the markets and all that kind of stuff and what these have sort of like turned into, but like there was a meaning for all those things. And now the meaning has turned into something that is very sort of like uh, uh, rooted in the subject, you know, like it's it, almost to the point of like really just narcissistic, you know, like, and I'm not saying that a person that goes and gets tattoos is you know, is a, is a straight narcissist. That's not the point that I'm making, but it turns into this thing where it's sort of like, 
if there was something that was a rite of passage at one point in time, if there was something that was meaning, if there was something that was rooted in a concept like, like a counterculture or a subculture, um, I don't have a tattoo, and now I'm an outcast. You, you know? are a fucking yeah. rebel uh -huh. Uh -huh. because of that. You are not part of the mainstream. Uh -huh. I mean, seriously, uh -huh. dude. I mean, they've they've done such a good job at monetizing it that you don't even have to know what tattoo you want. If you just say, I've got a hundred bucks, mm -hmm. they show you fucking three books of $100 tattoos. Um, doesn't that, doesn't that kind of suck? That sucks so bad, dude. Like seriously. I mean, like the first tattoo I ever got and they did a shit job, but I mean, that was of a leprechaun. I've always said I was Irish, whatever. I thought, this is a good tattoo. This is something about me being Irish. Um, but if you can just go in and say, oh, well, I don't really know what I want, you know, and they, they don't say, well, tell me about you or tell me what you like or tell me this. They're like, here's a book of fucking $99 tattoos. Take a look at those. Oh, well, I've got more than $99. Well, great. There's a book of and I don't know if they have the book of $200 tattoos, but my point is, is that everything now is just there. They, they can walk them through every step. And it's not about who you are as an indigenous person. It's not about who you are, even as a fucking gangster, a yeah. drug dealer, or a prisoner. Mm -hmm. It's about who is going to make the money off of it when you're walking down Colfax. One thing we were talking about was like how many like how many shows are on TV now. And 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 look, no disrespect, right? Like there is some cool artwork out there. Like I've seen some shit like I remember this girl that I grew up with, she's like she she did the fucking Wizard of Oz on her leg when we were kids and that shit was fucking crazy like detailed, like it was just cool, beautiful, you know? Yeah. But like it's gotten, I mean, inked and what was the lady's name that you were talking about? I can't remember. Cat something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I can't remember what it is. But cat is her is her first name. She's she's but she's in LA. She's a huge LA Inc. I think was the name of, of the show that she was in. The yeah, there's show. a whole bunch of them. Ink Masters, yeah. some other bullshit. The, I mean, the guitar player from uh, Jane's Addiction. He had one of the uh, like a tattoo show. You know? So, it's I mean, it's just gotten to the point where like. Yeah, like you're talking the, about Dave Navarro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 the, the space between um, counterculture and culture has it's like it's become a synthesis to the point where it's almost like farcical, you know. And again, I'm not. That's my point. Is not that you know, like I I see a lot of stuff that I like, you know. But like tribal tattoos, right? what the fuck does a tribal tattoo mean now? You know? I mean, like, honestly. Like, if you go into a fucking, like I was talking about, Mary, if you go into a Maori community and you get a fucking tattoo from a Maori, you know, because they give it to you because you've gone through some ceremonies with you, may have hung out with them, you're sort of, like, embedded in their, their space, that's qualitatively different. But if you go into a tattoo shop and you look in a book and you're like, oh, that's a really cool Irish cross, you know, or all of these various different things. Yeah. At some point, it just, it's like when you say it, say a word over and over and over again to the point where like you like it no longer has a meaning in your head anymore like it's and that when i say farcical that's what i mean like it's just it doesn't the spaces where 
like prisoners, you know, I mean, tattoos for prisoners under certain circumstances had very specific meanings about your relationship to a gang, about your activities that you had committed in your life. And, and, and I'm not like talking about American. I mean, you talk about triads, you know, like, like the Yakuza yeah. stuff is fucking badass. Yeah, uh-huh. um, most of those Koi tattoos are fucking mm-hmm. awesome. But it mean, they all mean something very yeah. specific. Now, so Japan's an Russia, position. Russian tattoos. Do, do they, so, but like in Japan, you're not allowed to go into um, bars if you have visible tattoos. Well, there are a lot of bars here where you can't do it. Generally, they're in neighborhoods where gang activity is higher than, say, other neighborhoods. But I mean, they say no colors, that's, no that's white tees, no, no tattoos. Things. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. um, but it's it's along the same lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want. But like culturally down there, tattoos in Japan are different than they are in a lot of other places. They're not. But I'm sure in Japan, that line is going to continue to be crossed also, because if it's not monetized there now, it will be soon. Well, there's no doubt that they they know about commodification down there. They're pretty damn good at it. Yeah. But it is interesting that there are certain cultural, and I don't know, the the person, there's a a buddy that I talked to, he was down there, it was three or four years ago, but he tried to go into a bar and he had like the Super Mario one on his neck and like they... They said no. You got to cover everything up. You can't. You cannot come in here with anything like that. And maybe it was because he was Anglo, you know. But no matter what, like when he when he did cover it up and he went in there, there was no. He couldn't see. And maybe if somebody's affiliated, maybe there's some other stuff that happens in those moments. And I'm sure that that's. But I, that's all conjecture. I don't know anything. It about could be like I know a lot of times when I go to a restaurant, especially when you know I used to fucking travel all the time. Mm-hmm. I try to go into a restaurant and they're like, no, you need to have shirt sleeves or you've got to have a jacket or you've got to have a fucking jacket and tie. What was it like when you were... Fuck you, you pretentious prick. I'm not putting on a tie and I'm (laughs) not putting on a jacket. What what about when you went to, when you're like in Bucharest and stuff like that? Oh, Bucharest, they let you go wherever the Mm -hmm. fuck you... I mean, just because they were happy that there were people that had money there and they were spending it there. Um, And and I'm sure... Yeah, Bratislava, whatever. <laughs> I whole nickel, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, and I'm sure that there are a lot of like Bratislava, like Eastern Central European countries that are are still that way, where they don't give a fuck what you do. I mean, I wonder what it's like right now. I mean, because of the, I mean, the political situation continues to become so tense. Like I. I haven't been mm-hmm. over there since 2019, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, that's a different story for another day, anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, so they there are places that think that they are going to, you know, only help these type of people. And, and part of it might be some sort of either socioeconomic thing where they're saying we're going to keep out poor people or some of it may be just a flat fucking racist thing where we're going to keep out not just poor people, but brown people, black people, Asian people, whoever the fuck we don't want in. So we say, you know, we need a jacket or we need a jacket and tie or whatever. Um, But yeah, I mean, we, we've gone... 
way too far with this shit. Like, seriously, I don't think we need that many fucking tattoo parlors. Well, I mean, but is that is that really the point? So, like, I like when we started talking about this, I went and read an article that I read in New World Order with Nick, right, like 100 years ago. Um, and the article is called The Idea and Art, right? And again, it's like Hegel, and Hegel's like, uh, like what Hegel thinks about art. And there's this, this paragraph that kind of like, when I think about these, these social spaces where you have like a, like a popular social disposition that's sort of like maintained, um, and you, have, you, you, you construct a contrary space in relation. So like in this article, so um, when man is pitted against society, he is sometimes required to act in ways that are over and above the ordinary call of duty. He literally produces actions which have never been produced before and which become qualitatively different from any other forms of human behavior. So like that would be like the peeling off the moment where like the, uh, and, and you're, you're, you're sort of like taking it like from like this sort of world historic individual space. But if you just sort of imagine this collection of people that are sort of doing that and creating this social space that, that runs antithetical. And I mean, it, it doesn't have to just be like hippies. I mean, it could, it could have been like the, you know, SCLC and, you know, uh, the, the nation of Islam stuff that was going on or the black Panthers, you know, or, uh, Cesar Chavez and, and and what was going on with the the farm workers out there you know they 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 were trying to create a different social space that was antithetical to the space that they were existing in and then there's this sort of like tendency like like for instance like Martin Luther King right at the end of his life like for the last two years of his life he was a self-proclaimed socialist he talked, of course, he, he talked about situations with regard to the black community, but it shifted from a racial question solely to a racial and an economic question. Like, I mean, it was something that he started to say over and over and over again. But all the things that we look at when we talk about Martin Luther King are, you know, uh, I have a dream, you know, the, the Montgomery boys, bus boycotts, you know, civil rights, you know, it's always civil rights shit, but it's not it's not that the fact that when he went down and got shot in fucking Memphis that he was down there to support janitors that were on strike during that time period, not black janitors that were on strike, all fucking janitors that were on strike. So there's this tendency to where like, even when you have this like uh, incredibly revolutionary potential, and I don't mean like potential to create a revolution, but the idea that something would really transform the system that you're inside of um there's it's become really like the 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 power structures become really good at like taking these counterculture positions and sort of like subsuming them and like the black lives matter stuff like i mean that's that's the most recent like iteration of this but to where like it got co-opted by corporate america within a 24-hour time period. I mean, there were all the things that were happening in the street. People were protesting. There was, you know, defacing of property and, you know, breaking into breaking up Starbucks and a lot of, you know, shit like that was happening. And but it, it it's like it was over before it started because back then, like that was what, like when I was making the point about time earlier, like the 50s and the 60s versus what's happening now. 
it's almost like any counterculture or uh, subculture position, it gets consumed by the system and 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 commodified and spit out like well that's why i was saying so like i i just and by the way i don't give a fuck how many tattoo parlors are out there if you can make a living doing what you love which i'm assuming is giving tattoos more power to you um yeah nicklin great tattoos but awesome bro my point is is that it used to be something that again you know not everybody had so if you did have one you were kind of fucking cool now everybody has one so you're not fucking cool anymore um which probably should concern all of the tattoo artists out there and maybe they should start seeking something else to do because of the fact that you know once you saturate a market there's only so many things you can do but whatever that's another fucking topic um but you talked about you know rebellion and black lives matter and all of this stuff so um they and again i'm i'm calling them tastemakers for lack of a better term um but they managed to pull whatever was popular in these sub or countercultures and sell it and make probably millions and millions of dollars off of it like che right <laughs> i mean how many fucking dipshit trust fund babies have you seen in boulder or fucking anywhere philadelphia la some dipshit walking around wearing a Che shirt. I mean, I got into an argument with that friend of mine, Shay, because he told me that his dad named him for his favorite revolutionary, Shay Guevara. And I was like, dude, you mean Che? And he goes, no, Shay, that's my name. And I was like, I know your fucking name, dude. His name was not Shay. His name was not Shay. And he goes, yeah, it was. So I had to fucking go and find a book and show him and he's like my dad fucking lied to me <laughs> so Shay, Shay was, Shay was nice guy. shout out to Shay um what's his wife's name Jesse Shay and Jesse um but I mean how many of those shirts have have they sold so like my favorite Shay Shay so now you fucked me up my favorite Shay shirt was uh Che Guevara and then wearing a Che Guevara shirt, wearing a Che Guevara shirt. The one from The wearing, Onion? Yeah. That, that like, one was hilarious. Like, I mean, like the infinite regress problem in relation to that. Like, like Marx, right before he died, he said, I am not a Marxist. You know, like Che, to wear a Che shirt, that is just fucking, you know. I mean, but it, 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 it definitely. They do it with anything and everything, though. So when I was going to school at UCD. Um, I took an urban politics class and, uh, you know, we read all these because you have to do like the urban development part of things, you know, and uh, there was this one article that we read where they talked about uh, like, and th this was like the 90s. So when this was happening, the 80s and 90s more, like you'd have poor artists that would go to these tough areas, you know, 
and uh, they would do these things to these areas to make them chic, desirable. Still happens. And when they when they would go there, yeah, of course. I mean, it's it literally. So what they what they what they called it in this urban development um, disposition was urban pioneers. <laughs> so you go there. Uh, these these kids that are supposed to be counterculture kids that are supposed to be going against the grain and they actually become the very thing that they hate because they're they're driving the um, the market in those in those spaces through through their vision because of because of exactly what you're saying because it gets subsumed like in the uh, in in the commodification process so quickly. Well, Starbucks and real estate developers and all kinds of shit. I, I mean, they used to follow those, I'm going to call them tribes, but I mean, these fucking roving bands of artists, they would follow them around and... What I, was your other term you just used a little bit ago? Tribes? No, no, before the... A minute ago, like we were... the Trend... But there was a word that you used. Tastemakers. Tastemakers, yeah. yeah. So, like, that's, I mean, you're literally, if you're an urban pioneer, you're a, uh, you're an intentional, unintentional tastemaker. I mean, you want to be an artist, but you're not an artist. You're not, you are an artist, but you're an artist that becomes, again, like, you, 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 you become your opposite, you know? I mean. So, you know, we talked about Warhol and, and Basquiat and, yeah. and those guys. That was a shitty time in, in New York City when they were out there. Yeah, the Bronx was literally on fire. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so we were talking kind of about them because you made a comment. And, and I'm going to take us off on a, a slight tangent, but I, I, prom that. I promise it connects. <laughs> so... Malcolm X was on TV, and something from Motown came on. I think it was fucking Diana Ross. I can't remember. Um, but I said, you know, I, I really, really wish that we could have gotten rid of slavery much earlier, and, and then maybe we could have started getting along at some point a long time ago and you said well the music wouldn't have been as good and and maybe that's true but those guys and so here's kind of where it connects because i said you know the bronx was on fire but warhol and and basquiat were there and and they were doing art paintings and but blondie was there and she was singing at the cbgb with David Byrne and Talking Heads, they came down from Boston and they were doing their thing. So punk rock got big and and Blondie might be new wave more than punk rock, but yeah, let's get whatever. Um, we really need categories. So there's this huge art thing going with with art and music and, and everything's going on. Well, in the Bronx is where hip-hop was invented and so it started off with cool herc having a party he was just a dj a few years later grandmaster flash starts spinning blondie sings rapture mentions grandmaster flash on the song and that is probably the first crossover where hip-hop made it to white people 
And Grandmaster Flash said she did me a huge fucking favor. Thanks, I mean, Debbie. yeah. Um, it was probably just crossover in New York, but considering the size of that fucking market even back then, that had to be a, a good chunk of change. Well, the incredibly interesting social social environment that was existing there in the context of what you're saying. Shit was fucked up there during that time period. Yes. And look, I, so you could say that I, I made the argument that we need to, that suffering creates good music, so Darren is for uh, a long history of slavery. Well, that's the stupidest fucking comment anybody could ever make. I, mean, I never said that. I know, but like a person could listen to what you said and they could like try to turn it around like that. But so I was listening to Cornell West this morning. Cornell West, uh, he had announced candidacy for uh, presidency. Originally, it was going to be with the People's Party. There's all kinds of problems inside the People's Party right now. So it looks like he's going to try to run as the uh, – he's going to go through the primaries in the Green Party and try to, to be the Green candidate for um, – uh, dude, like if you ever listen to Cornell West, like when he starts uh, uh, doing his academic proselytizing, right, he, he – uh, it's like like academic jazz like he's just very and, and and there's just like it's fluid you know there's a rhythm there's a meter you know he changes you know this and that and there's tempo you know and it's but it's very it's very fluid the way that he goes about doing things but he got into the space this morning and it's one of the spaces that he often gets gets into and he says he's talking about we can talk about the history of black people, but we can't talk about it outside the context of the of, of, of economics and the situations that have occurred over the course of time. Um, and if you're going to do that, and you're going to do that with me, you know, I am a jazz academic, you know, so, and, and jazz is rooted in blues, and blues is rooted in the brutal experiences that allowed for blues to come into being in the first place so this is not this is not some fucking white guy's words you know saying that these are necessary to create these these uh musical and social spaces these musical and social spaces were the outgrowth of the social relations that existed among these people and the people that were dominating them in the context of all the other people that were getting dominated at the same time you know that's why everybody can relate to blues right that's why everybody like if you can really listen to mccoy tyner or you know, Louis Armstrong or, you know, Ella Fitzgerald, you know, like that's, it touches you it, because those, it's that suffering, that's, that shared pain, you know, that sort of like when you listen to fucking Ella Fitzgerald bleed, you know, God bless the child that's got his own, you know, I mean, that, that's a, you can't have one without the other, you know, the pain is, is part of what gives birth to those those spaces, Deborah Harry and Grandmaster Flash, in the middle. I mean, you talk about no, but that the reason that I mentioned that mm -hmm. is because of that crossover. Mm -hmm. Because now hip hop mm -hmm. is fucking huge, mm -hmm. and again, it's just part of the mainstream. So that's why I said mm -hmm. I'm going to bring it back in and and make it connect. Sorry, no, I was giving it to you. That was I was letting you loop. Um, because I I do probably agree on some level about the suffering thing but i mean the those guys in the bronx queens brooklyn they they were definitely suffering so but hip-hop so 
if it hadn't been for the crossover, then a lot of them would probably still be suffering. Um, things have kind of changed now. You know, there's a lot more rich black people. Um, there's so a, there's a black aristocracy. So there's there's not there doesn't necessarily have to be that crossover in order for somebody to make some money off of their their talent. Mm -hmm. But I think that that crossover still helps if they can if they can jump that gap and and start playing for not just white people but for everybody else other than just blacks then it definitely helps them to make some money now a lot of the hip-hop artists were bothered by the crossover and like they didn't want it to be everywhere and i don't think that that was a racist thing it was more of a i gotta take this back to where hip-hop began as like opposed a roots thing kind of I didn't want to use that term, but yes. Um, roots, rock, reggae. Um, yeah, take it back to where we started, because that's where everything began. That's where we were good. That's where all of the, the things that ended up happening happened. You know, I, I mean, it was... Grandmaster Flash and then probably Run DMC and LL Cool J and everything just kind of blew up. Um, you know, Run DMC, they were probably the next ones to cross over. And that was because of that fucking stupid song with Aerosmith, dude. <laughs> um, and they, they made millions off of that fucking thing. But... Adidas should have paid them for money. They did. Did they pay them for it? Yeah. Okay. Um, hip hop, if it hadn't gotten as popular as it had, then Puff Daddy wouldn't be as popular as he is. Jay-Z wouldn't have been able to buy a basketball team the way he did. He bought part of a basketball right. team. Right. But, I mean, he can I, still I get, say that, that yeah. he's an owner. Um, he's, so. He's a billion dollar man. You, you yeah. want. a hundred million dollar man. You want that crossover to occur. Um, and Blondie, maybe she was a, a tastemaker, um, and, and helped propagate that. Any goofy bastard that really believes that you have to bring it back to that original space and they go in like the sort of purist mode, that's like, it's, it's naivety on one level. And it's also, it's foolish because we're all in the same boat anyway well and that's that was my argument you know when we started kind of talking about this was that like the term cultural appropriation shouldn't fucking exist like i know black people i know mexican people colombians i know all of these people that on saint patrick's day they wear fucking shirts that say kiss me i'm irish you're not fucking Irish, but it's St. Patrick's Day. I'm not going to fucking go, oh, well, that's cultural appropriation. Now, maybe I'm not allowed to do that because I'm white. I don't know. Um, I think that that would kind of be a good thing. 
my point is is that we're supposed to all be part of the the same thing and i know that there it wasn't an equal or a level playing ground throughout the beginning but there's also that like in this in the space of cultural appropriation there's this rhetorical notion of of like for you to say that there has to be a demarcation to where culture is not fluid for one thing and, and it's static right like meaning that I mean, that's that's two that's two sides of the same coin but like i remember i got into an argument with with bean um where um she saw a white guy with dreadlocks and she said that's cultural appropriation and uh, i said but that the, the darker skinned individual over there i said is that person from jamaica She's like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, if you're going to make that argument, it has to matter. Yeah. It has to matter. Like, and I'm not saying that Jamaica is the only place where, you know, dreadlocks come, come from, you know, but let, let, let's, let's be honest that like, if you're going to make an argument about cultural appropriation, you have to, it, it can't be based on hard and fast appearance positions. There has to be more specific uh, characteristics that you'd be looking at with regards to the history of people that are actually tied to those specific instances. And on top of that, C-pop and K-pop, and this is for you, Bean. I would say I'm those are cultural I'm, appropriation. I'm starting shit with her right now as I say this, all right? In C-pop and K-pop, they sing songs that have seven or eight different languages in them and they don't always have all those different uh, language positions represented in the groups. So if that's the truth, then that's the markets in C-pop or the markets in K-pop appropriating different cultural aspects of something that doesn't necessarily get represented in the people that are actively involved in the music at that point in time. Now, I'm not going to call that cultural appropriation because I don't, I don't think that that's constructive. And I think it's actually quite interesting that K-pop and C-pop is actually, they're, that they are actually they are actually utilizing all those different spaces because it allows for this sort of like, you know, weird kind of like communication that transcends specific cultural spaces. And I think that there's something that's dynamic and interesting about that. I, I think that's something to be, I'm not gonna, I'm not a fucking liberal, so I'm not gonna say that's something to be celebrated. I just think it's something that, that it's important to observe, to see it for what it is and to sort of like, See where it goes. I know? think they just figured out the next group that's going to have a shit ton of money. That, that, there, there's, there's an aspect of that to that, but there's still... So this is where, in the moment where we're at right now, where things are moving so fast, where you have these different things that are sort of like emerging in those spaces. Like, because for a minute, K-pop was, was sort of like this outside of Korean culture you know just like c-pop was you know but now it's again it's it's being subsumed by those spaces it's like totally sucked in so like uh there's a synthesis that's sort of like happening in those those moments but when the synthesis occurs that's where you start to beg you you I, i'm not allowed to say beg the question anymore that's one of the things that uh, i've been instructed that i'm using the term incorrectly so um it, it's sort of like solicits the thought that when those things are happening all at once, 
what what real cultural space is that creating? Is it is it like where culture and counterculture are, are like happening at the same time? They're both part of the same thing. Like where time isn't this space where you have to have a formal culture on one side and an, an antithetical position on another side, and then it wraps back in and then repeats that process, you know, or you, or you would have multiple nodes where like you have uh, culture at large, you know, and then you have the punk movement, you have uh, the hip hop movement, the, uh, the new wave movement, you know, and then it sort of like comes back in and then something else, you know, it's, it's sort of like a different way of thinking about time at some point where I don't know, like culture and counterculture or culture. There's a possibility that, do you, I mean, do, do you see where I'm going at all? There's a possibility that there's, it's like, like a continuous movement of time, like the potential for a continuous movement of time. Right now it only functions in terms of markets, like it, in terms of like surplus value and making money out of it, shit like that. But there is something latent in that movement of time that I think that there's, there might be something deeper that would be worth thinking about or looking about in terms of trajectories, human potential, shit like that. Well, I don't know if it was K-pop or C-pop. I'm guessing it was K-pop because a lot of the people in the videos looked Korean, mm -hmm. but I've been watching that hip hop channel mm -hmm. and they've got like a fucking, like it's their Asian and I don't know, Pan Pacific hour or mm -hmm. some shit. And so what, the, what is that on that you're watching that on? Oh, it's uh Vivo, I don't know, Vivo hip hop. Okay, okay. Um but it's it's just hip hop with Asian people in it. So I don't give a fuck what you call it. I mean you can call it K pop, you can call it C pop. They're rapping, and a lot of them are rapping like some of the the groups from New York or or LA do. Some of them are rapping about more Asia centric type of ideas. But the fact is, it's it's hip hop, it's rap. Um, so I don't know again whether or not it's K pop or C pop. Um, cause I think a lot of that has to do with the company that's producing it more than it's the artist. It's locale. Well, a lot of those guys are here. That's, but that, that's, that's a, that's a different thing altogether. This, you really like, like as much as she gets bogged down in categories, which you also get bogged down in categories a little bit sometimes too. Yeah. I really, I wish you'd write a book about it. Like, there, there's more to it. It's not just hip-hop. It's not just pop. There's other things that are happening with regards to it. And you have to kind of, like, start to look at things that go on in Korean culture to understand that stuff. Things that go on inside of Chinese culture to understand that stuff. Things that go on to where that guy that broke off and came to L.A. and did all that shit. That, mm -hmm. and, and that, the, I mean, the one that you're talking about. Mean, His name's huge... Brian something yeah. is the the rapper I'm talking about. But is their production studio something 88? Yes, that's it. That's the one. And it's huge. But yeah. I mean, there's, but that, again, that's something else to where you have the U.S. iteration of these various different spaces that... Uh, it could be you you could reduce it to something that looks similar to something that's you've seen before but i think 
like I've had, I've, I've had to talk to Jeannie about this enough that I think it, it, there's, there's some other stuff that happened, not in all of it, because some of it is just straight, like, you know where K-pop came from? Like, really? Like, the Korean, when the Korean fucking economy totally took a fucking nosedive in the early 90s, right, late 80s or whatever it was, the Korean government invested tons of money in the entertainment industry, and two huge things happened out of that. Um, one was, was K-pop, and the other was... Uh, uh, I don't know, Bollywood, I don't know, like all the, the, the movies and the TV production things that came out of that space, which like, because I've been closer to, I mean, because Annie, so like, I remember when Annie and uh, uh, Sarah, like I, we, we went out to LA and we'd be hanging out and stuff. Um, I'd be sitting there and Kara or Sarah and Annie would be like binging this Korean show. And then then Sarah would Sarah would binge that one, then Annie binge that one, and they then they flip, you know. And I mean, like, then I talk to you know Annie's mom, and she'd be doing it. And then I talk to Jane, and she'd be doing it. And then I'd be talking about like all of the different people that I used to work with in the casino industry, and all those motherfuckers would be like totally just like invested in all these Korean dramas and shit like that. Like they the the Korean government saved the Korean economy through K-pop and through the the movie and TV industry that, that exploded over there. And I mean, it is, it's the center of, you know, I mean, a lot of stuff is produced out of China, but the, the Korean dramas and the, like everybody, I mean, now you look on fucking Netflix and I mean, it's just off the fucking charts how much shit's on there. But that, I mean, it's funny is that that's only started showing up on the last two or three years, but uh, those those shows have been you know I mean like Annie and the, I mean we were it was a, it was 10, 10 12 years ago that I was out there with them you know doing my sh when I was when I was going to fucking when I was dealing the World Series and I went to go meet them out in LA like they're all sitting there watching their fucking Korean fucking melodrama their Korean dramas just crazy like how big that uh, but I don't know like I still think that that movement where it's happening so quick. There's something else in that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's just commodification, but I think there might be something else. Well, I was going to talk about something else, but we're 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 already over an hour, so I don't know how deep I want to get into it. But you know, I I told you I was going to do that project, and I was mm -hmm. I went up and interviewed that crackhead and well, and, and introduced the project a little bit. They don't know what you're talking about. Well, this. so I, we can come into it a bunch afterwards, but at least introduce it real quick. I was just gonna tell him who I fucking interviewed. The project doesn't fucking matter. Anyway, I was gonna matter. talk. Okay, go ahead. Carry on. I was gonna talk to people that are, well, probably dissatisfied, regardless of where they are on the socioeconomic scale. It just so happens that a lot of them I was gonna talk to happen to be living in a car. Or homeless. Um, so I interviewed this one girl, and then I didn't get the interview done. She disappeared. So I went to talk to some people that I know that work out by the parking lot, and I was trying to find out if they could introduce me to anybody that lives in these parking lots around. And they said, no, but this one girl I know said, you do realize that 
that living in a, a camper or a van is like an entire culture now. And I, I did realize that to some degree, but it's different if you're doing it because you want to than if you have to. And it got me thinking, and, and here's kind of the thing, like if you're living in a van and you're still working and paying your taxes, the government is, is pretty happy with you. But there was a movement, which you probably could have called a subculture, which was the, the miniature house movement, right? Most municipalities and, and counties in Colorado have stopped allowing people to have miniature houses because, so the entire idea behind a, a mini house is that it's not a McMansion. You figure out, fuck it, I don't need 6,000 square feet. I need 600 square feet. I need a bathroom. I need a bed. I need a kitchen. Um, but they I need to hold myself quit, again. quit letting people have these, these miniature houses. And I think that the reason is, is because all of these counties were losing out on real estate tax on the mill levy because those houses weren't worth as much because they were 600 square feet compared to 6,000. So why not sell huge plots of land to a developer who's going to build McMansions than to sell five-acre sites and let people that want to install a, a mini house on them? Um, so the, the miniature house thing as a subculture has kind of gone away because nationwide there aren't very many places you can do it anymore. So I think, again, we took hip-hop we took tattoos we're gonna take all of these things where they can make money um you know barbecue jazz uh fucking lobster things poor people used to eat yeah. now are fucking expensive yeah um now they figured out that they can make money off all of these things so they're there um but something like that where the consumer is going to be better off they're not going to let it happen anymore because they're going to be losing money so even though it's better for the environment for the consumer's pocketbook for all of these things so the nomad lands thing then like the the people who are living so are you do you, are you seeing that i mean are, is there a connection between not being able to have these small houses and people choosing to go and so that they can just sort of like be the small houses. I don't know. No, no. It just got me thinking because I did the one interview, couldn't finish it. I went back out there a few times to try to interview them and couldn't because nobody was around. So that's when I went to see if they knew anybody I could talk to. But then when that one girl told me about the, you know, van culture, it started me thinking, and then I thought, well, there was a mini home trend or, or culture for a while, and it went away. And a lot of the reason was because, I don't know, I think it was five years ago, most of the yeah. counties in the state of Colorado Everything said no. Everything you said makes perfect sense there. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're not going to let you zone it because if you've got a house that's worth $14,000, then they're not going to be able to 
charge you as much tax. I mean, everything right. that you just said made perfect sense. Um, I do wonder, though, about the emergence of a, of a, I mean, because you're, you're talking about the emergence of a sort of gypsy culture, you know, in, in those spaces, you know, where people are not tied to like a permanent space or position, you know, right. um, I mean, and, and, and I, I need to watch that movie. Like, uh, what, what, what's her name? The, oh, the Fargo lady. What's her name? Uh, I don't know. Make uh, she 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 won uh, like a best actress thing for this this movie No Man. I know Nomadland you told that me. She did. I know, but I'm reiterating it in this context because that might be an example of an actual counterculture that's existing right now that isn't being completely devoured by the capitalist system. Well, that happened. I thought you said it was during the Dust Bowl. No, no, the Nomadlands thing is about something that happened. She was, it was, it was, it was in 20, 2016, 2017, the book was written. This is about stuff that happened recently. Her husband died. The the person who, uh, what the fuck is her name? I'll think, I'll, I'll say it when we come back from, uh, uh, from break. But uh, her husband passed away. Um, she couldn't sustain her position and she had a van and she went and lived in the van and she ended up, like you said, like you, uh, they go to places like over by the hogback, you know, or something like that, you know, and uh, you stay there for a while. You hang out. I mean, it's kind of like uh, Into the Wild. There was that uh, flatland space where all those trailers and Winnebago's and, and it was way out in the desert. So it was a space that nobody was trying to buy or sell the property anyway. So they could kind of get away with but again, of course, that was 30 years ago, and now every Francis McDormand. Francis McDermott. Yeah, that's right. Okay. She, but uh, um, no, it's, and it's something. It is a counterculture space. It isn't. It is something that that seems to exist. It, it creates a space that might be outside of. Roger's wife used to travel with a bunch of those people. That's right. And I saw a documentary about a whole bunch of them that live in like this. It's not really a commune, but they're on like on this the top of this plateau in New Mexico, and there's a whole shitload of them. And they're, I mean, it is a documentary, they're all living there. Um, I don't know, I think it was 15, 20 vehicles that were living within half a mile of each other. Um, and they're trading, they're doing their thing, but they're helping each other a little bit too. Yeah. Um, so it's it's been going on for a while. Mm -hmm. This isn't like a new concept, mm -hmm. but you know, with your argument about no no public spaces anymore, um, I think you're seeing that more and more. So, and not that a Walmart parking lot was ever a public space, but they used to allow overnight parking overnight camping they encouraged it in fact because their idea was you'd go in and buy a bunch of shit at walmart um most of the ones at least here in the city don't allow it anymore mm -hmm. um maybe in rural areas they still do where walmart was tied to like from the beginning anyway right mm -hmm. so that chick that i talked to the other day that i started interviewing mm -hmm. but the cops had kicked her out of the parking lot yeah you told so me. i asked her where she was moving and she said i'm just going to walmart so she was going to the Walmart in Evergreen mm -hmm. to live. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we don't have any any parks anymore where people 
can do that. And that parking lot, which there's three of them, I think between all three of them, there's probably 500 and some total spaces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're booting people out, mm-hmm. which whatever. But but is, it's, that's a, it's a protestive act of reclaiming space. I mean, on some level, if there is no public space, they're reclaiming space in a different in a different kind of way maybe i think i know a lot of them work at red rocks Mm -hmm. so that's why they choose there to live Mm -hmm. um because it's close Uh um some of them might be traveling on i-70 and they have vehicle problems Mm -hmm. so they stop there but i mean there are signs everywhere that say no overnight parking um so they're not supposed to be there, but they're not supposed to be out by the airport where they're everywhere. But when it's either. concert season, you're going to be able to get away with more stuff too because of Red Rocks and all that kind of stuff. So to I, some extent, maybe there you would think with all of the extra people, you wouldn't be getting away with that much more because there would be that many more people, people that'd be here. Hmm. Um, but my point was is that these things if they can make money off of you they're going to pull you into the mainstream if they can't then it's not going to be something that you read about that you're going to fucking have a t-shirt of you know that whatever yeah Yeah. Um, (laughs) so anyway um we've we've gone quite a bit and i've got a piss like a russian racehorse so i is there there a distinction between russian racehorses and normal racehorses I think they have to piss more because of the steroids. All right, Drago. <laughs> so um, we will pick up the second half here in a few. You can catch us short bus debate club at yahoo.com. 720-334, roll. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, roll, bitches.